Hello and welcome to Re-Energise. My name is Heather McClarty and I am a project manager working in the research and disruptive innovation team at the Offshore Renewable Energy Catapult, the UK's leading innovation research centre for offshore renewables. We connect agile technology developers, academics and industries working together to accelerate the UK's wave, wind and tidal energy sectors. In this episode, we're focusing upon the truly mammoth tasks that are involved in keeping the UK's offshore wind farms going. We're talking about inspecting, maintaining and repairing thousands of miles of subsea cables, millions of super-sized bolts and thousands of blades suspended above the ocean waves. This is heavy manual work, often undertaken in extreme conditions, fraught with risks, delays and heavy costs. I have three guests joining us today who are poised to transform the situation with their novel robotics and digital innovations for safer, high-tech approaches to these tasks. Let's go around the virtual table and meet them. My name is Pete Andrews. I'm the Managing Director of Ecobolt, which we founded just over a year ago now. So my background was all in power plant operations and maintenance. So I worked for E.ON for nearly 15 years, working across a range of technologies from coal and oil, gas, and then on to offshore wind. So, yeah, sort of with that a background, found Tidek about a year ago to try and deliver services into the wind industry. Saul, do you want to have a quick introduction to yourself? My name's Saul Matthews. I'm the commercial director for Synaptic. Uh, we've been going for about six years now. Traditionally, we focused on transmission and distribution customers, but we've recently gotten into offshore wind with help from Heather and the team. Uh, my personal background has been in technology startups, ranging from hyperscale data centers and making Netflix work back through the early days to the launch of Bluetooth and uh, launching Skype. So it's always been about uh, using digital technologies to make a difference for uh, corporate use. And last but not least, Chris. Yeah, hello. So I'm Chris Cheshlack. I'm the, the founder of Blade Bug Limited. We're developing a uh, sort of semi-autonomous robot to inspect and maintain wind turbine blades. I've got a background as an engineer, specialising in blade design, and it was kind of working within that industry for a number of years. Um, saw an opportunity for a product to sort of revolutionise how blades are sort of maintained and looked after, really. I think it's fair to say that each of you have spent a lot of time out on site would you be able to explain a bit about what maintenance operations look like? Um, we're going to look at blades, cables and bolts and structures. Chris, you'd be able to comment on what maintenance operations look like for blades? These rope access technicians are working in inherently dangerous environments. You know, they're working offshore, they're working at height, they're working in suspended from ropes. Whilst those risks are you know, extremely well understood and managed well, those risks still remain nonetheless. And so the more that you can minimise the, the human exposure to these element risks, I think, you know, looking forward in 10, 20 years time, I think it'll be very unlikely that we'll still be sending people out in the same capacity that we do to perform these tasks. And that, that challenge is going to get even more challenging um, as wind turbines continue to grow inside, but also go further offshore as well. So it's, it seems like the right time to integrate new technologies which are emerging and perform these very difficult tasks which the rope access people do, so very intricate repairs to blades. Replicate that with robots that give you a repeatable way. And really valid point about the infrastructure of blades is only going to get bigger and they're only going to get harder to reach offshore. So would you be able to outline what maintenance operations look like in the cable industry just now? I guess it's a similar story 
wind farms are operational very far from the coast and as they get bigger or we go into floating wind they're going to be even further away and the cables are very inaccessible because not only are they underwater they're often buried as well so there are solutions out there where people provide uh, visual inspection with drones for example or you have people are getting familiar with things like distributed temperature sensing which is looking for pre-spanning areas and hot spots and cold spots along the cable. The extra dimension that we have provided at Synaptic is that uh, we wanted to look at the electrical throughput, so the current and the voltage that's going through those cables to look at that forensically and determine if there's something wrong. If you've got inefficiencies or losses in the system, you can put lots of uh, passive distributed sensors across all these different locations and see instantaneously any of those locations and find out what those cables are doing. And as much as you can automate the condition monitoring of those assets, then you're going to save trips by engineers who are going out in boats and crew transfer vessels to look for those problems. So it's about automation and also helping with the speed of response to faults and ideally building up enough data over the history of the performance of that asset to start to predict faults and look for the clues and the precursors to things going wrong so that you know clearly prevention is better than cure because the repair costs and uh, campaign costs and outage and income loss of these events is horrific and it's still one of the major issues for the industry so we're adding another dimension of visibility and control to remote electrical assets and particularly the cables. Well thanks Paul and Pete are you able to a quick summary um, at the maintenance operations and bolts and structures. It may seem a slightly odd topic to be specifically interested in bolts, but for anyone that's worked in the wind industry, they'll know that there's a, a huge number of structurally critical bolts in a wind turbine. So wind turbines simply are a series of steel tubes which are basically bolted together with very large connections. So you may have over a thousand strictly critical bolts in every wind turbine and these are very substantial bolts. So each, each of these bolts might weigh up to 20 kilos each. And if you can imagine standing within a wind turbine, you're probably in a six metre diameter tube with perhaps 100 bolts of that size around you. So the way we currently maintain those as an industry is a routine retightening strategy. So every year we might go and re-tighten 10% of the bolts and every five years we might re-tighten 100% of the bolts. But to tighten a bolt that weighs 20 kilograms is, is no insignificant task. So you end up with very high pressure hydraulic equipment. So the equipment you're using might be upwards of 1500 bar or 1500 times the atmospheric pressure. To put that in some sort of context, you might be putting two bar of pressure into your car tire so you're really dealing with very high pressure hydraulics and very heavy equipment so the status quo is quite a hazardous activity for operational teams to manage and it's very time consuming and labor intensive so our whole goal at Ecobolt is to help operators move to a condition-based inspection so to truly understand the, the status of the bolts to whether or not they need retightening and use that information to inform their maintenance strategy going forward. The kind of size of that is pretty astonishing. Thank you, Pete. We've got three very different technologies, three different parts of the industry, so between everybody you could solve all the problems. <laughs> well, it's, it's an interesting, um, interesting collection of companies because I think all of us are 
are addressing weaknesses in how wind turbines currently are maintained and they're big um, scheduled maintenance activities that are sort of open to improvement so I think it's it's a really nice mix in that regard. We'll move on to the next topic then. The next topic is the friendly dragon's den and this is where the grilling begins. <laughs> um, I'd like to quiz you a bit about the technology solutions that we've been discussing that your companies are developing so that the listeners here can get an idea of just how game-changing that the technologies will be. If you were to summarise, Chris, your technology in 60 seconds, what would your 60-second elevator speech be? Oh, okay. Yeah, so we're developing a semi-autonomous robot that walks uh, on wind turbine blades, and it's been designed to offer safer and a more efficient way of looking after these huge, huge structures. It's part of a system of maintenance. So drones take photographic surveys, and currently you have to send people into these inherently dangerous situations of going abseiling down a blade to perform these inspections um, and subsequent repairs. But we've designed a really versatile, agile, six-legged robot. It walks on the surface and inside the blades, gets to all the nooks and crannies that are really difficult to get to using humans. And it's been designed as a platform, so it's completely agnostic to sensors and tools. And it's very easily adopted or adapted to go from an inspection-related task uh, to a repair specific um, task. So it's designed from the ground up. I've, as I said, I've come from a wind turbine blade background. So it's been designed knowing all the problems that wind turbine blades can face and experience. And it's designed to be as flexible and adaptable as possible, as easy to use by the end user. You just have a remote control, you drive it to the area of interest and it can perform the same task no matter who's operating the device. And it's about trying to change the landscape of how wind turbine blades are maintained to, you know, look at maybe if you treat these defects sooner, there's a long-term benefit um, rather than waiting for it to become serious enough to then send a, a rope access crew out to do it. So it's about bringing the technology that is being around us. So robotics are now becoming more and more commonplace in, in industry and utilizing those robotics to specific tasks for the offshore wind sector. Maybe 62 seconds, but that's okay. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no, it's okay. We'll maybe go back to Pete. Maybe something similar. If you were to summarise Ecobolt in 60 seconds. As we spoke about earlier, wind turbines have these very large bolts. But you can think of a bolt as a very stiff spring. So as you put load into the bolt, it increases in length. And it's that change in length that we're interested in um, measuring with our our system. So we have an ultrasonic based measurement device which allows us to go and look at how much a bolt has been extended under load and therefore we can infer uh, through repeat measurements whether there's been any change and that's really at the um, at the heart of what we're offering and our sort of our USP if you like is that we are able to go and inspect bolts that have already been installed which is one of the one of the challenges because there are technologies which you could use before assembly, but there's nothing really that can address the market of already operational turbines. So that's where we, we're slightly different. What would so you and Synaptic, your 60 second elevator pitch be? Synaptic 60 second elevator pitch says, uh, we've invented the world's first passive and distributed sensor networks for power systems. So that's the first time in the world we've made the measurement of voltage or current completely passive, so you don't need power supplies or comms. 
to instrument a location and manage and protect a circuit safely. The implication for offshore wind, however, falls into kind of three time brackets. Uh, we're operating in three different time scales. So at one level, we, we're providing very wide area distributed uh, fault response and automating it uh, to the standards that are seen in transmission for protection and metering and control. Then in, but that's done in milliseconds. Then in normal kind of human time scales, we're providing instantaneous information to control room operators to support better decision making. We can provide things like thermal ratings, dynamic line ratings, overheating alarms, characterization and locating faults. Uh, but the very long term application for this is that we can provide power quality analytics. That means we're breaking down electrical signals into their sort of DNA componentry and looking for telltale signatures of mechanical and electrical inefficiencies and losses. And when you start building a picture of those over time and you know where you got those measurements from and why, uh, you can start predicting what mechanical and electrical components in the entire power system might fail because of poor interactions or inefficiencies. And that is going to help with long-term viability of uh, these assets, determining when it's good to engage and replace or repair things, or even start to assess the end of life of an operational wind farm and say, what's it going to be worth? Can you decommission or repower or simply repair and start again when 25 years are over? So it's about improving visibility and providing better empirical data on the performance of electrical systems. So we'll maybe go back to Chris from Bladebug. Do you have any questions prepared for um, Synaptic and for Echovolt? Well, I think it's because we kind of all work in the same kind of sector. It's like how receptive or how, as the industry, um, taking your invention as a, as a sort of young company, trying to break into like the big industry with big multinationals, how have they been receptive of your invention? I guess it's kind of both of you because it's, it's kind of the same. It, we're all in the same situation where, you know, we've, we've, we've got an idea, we've, we're developing a, a product, we're developing a solution, and you want to get that to market into a market with, you know, lots of big players. And we've got to try and, you know, wiggle our way into that sector. How, how receptive has that industry been with your proposals and your solutions? Saw here. From our side, on behalf of Synaptic, we're lucky in a way that we started out proving uh, how our technology worked in the most challenging circumstances, which is actually in transmission, because the uh, the equipment that we're installing goes into these new sort of digitalized substations, and they are the crown jewels of the power network of an entire country, and they are simply not allowed ever to fail. And so the level of engineering tolerance, robustness, accuracy, performance over time, longevity is incredibly high. These are mission critical applications. So because we had some proof that, that works in those environments, it was an easier transition to come to the offshore wind industry and say, look, we do actually meet and beat these standards. However, the operating environment is completely different. Uh, and therefore, you have to get a lot of help. And we've been very lucky uh, with the support we got from the uh, Catapult to help us get trials and prove the concept and prove that we can go out there and retrofit a system and that it's safe to do so. And it gives you better visibility and more information about what's happening. Um, so I, I think... Partially the challenge for us wasn't so much to prove that the technology would work because we'd already established that. It's probably just the, the, the time it takes to run a trial over a meaningful period of time. 
because we're operating in timescales which are milliseconds. Is there a fault? Can you find it? Can you automate the response to the fault and limit damage? That's our core business. But the real proof of the pudding is to run this thing for, uh, I don't know, two seasons or six to nine months to say what are the different scenarios through summer through to winter to tell the difference on the loadings and the supply and demand scenarios that make sense to prove that we can show uh, how long this is going to last and where the creeping faults are coming in and get the long-term diagnostic stuff uh, actionable and useful. Uh, uh, the goal here is to provide enough data and to predict things so that people who go out to repair things know when, where and why to go. And that just takes time to build up that data history and a baseline of information to do it. So um, that, that's the, the big challenge is to do this at scale and have enough time to produce meaningful results for everyone else to join in the party. I think reception's good. Uh, generally speaking, nobody's ever said no to our concepts. It's, it's about finding the right time to either install with a new project, which is years in advance, or retrofitting to an existing wind farm who've got other challenges and certainly very different outlooks on budget. Uh, that's probably the hardest thing to distinguish. I think um, from our perspective, it's somewhat a similar story in that we've really felt that the industry there's been no shortcut in terms of no shortcut to credibility if you like we've sort of really felt we've had to go through all the technology readiness levels of demonstration probably when we started the company from our perspective we were happy to go out and deliver a commercial service to the market but i've felt through feedback and speaking to people that the market has wanted to see our development program so we've been through small scale lab testing and then along with the catapult and um, GE renewable energy we've now gone to full scale lab testing and our next step will then be demonstrator live asset testing and we've sort of felt that we've had to pursue a rigorous development program that has been expected by the customer base before they'd be comfortable adopting our our solution. So I think building that credibility, it's um, it's been a longer journey than I than we first anticipated. Um, having said that, there are a number of operators and developers in the market that have been hugely supportive and receptive. So there are some really good innovation challenges that, that have been posted in our area both by GE and Scottish and Southern Energy and they've been supportive and companies like our WE Renewables have been um, very supportive as well sort of tracking our technology and giving us a guidance and sort of encouragement so it's sort of a bit of a mixed picture really I think the, the industry is open to innovation but it it's it may be a higher hurdle of proof than I guess the, the innovator might like Collaborating with the Catapult has given us a, a huge amount of credibility from essentially when it was just myself with an idea to, to a company now. And it's just opened up a lot of doors. So we've got a lot of interest. I think a lot of companies are very interested in what we're doing, but I think it's very easy for companies to be interested in and like what they see. But actually, we're at that stage now where we're trying to get the next stage. Where we're looking to sort of get pre-commercial contracts in place. We're at the same stage. We've got a lot of we've got a lot of technology that we need to verify and, and test and trial. Um, so, you know, we've got the same journey on the TRL um, technology readiness levels, um, but we're trying to get people on board sooner. So we don't just end up with a product 
and go like, ta-da, you know, here's this, here's this like really interesting walking robot that can do X, Y, and Z. We want to bring those customers on board with the journey um, because it's going to be, a, it's, it's still going to be a long journey ahead to actually get the same level of confidence that the repairs or the inspections that we do are up to the same standards as the rope access. So the only way that we feel that we can do that is to get people on board early and we're trying to get those people on board now. Um, so again, we're in a good stage. We've got a lot of interest and lots of kind words and people are very intrigued by what we're doing. And yeah, we're hopeful that we can take that to the next level as a commercial sort of ongoing entity with them. But no, it's been, it's been interesting. I think we're, we're all in a very interesting area. I think offshore wind um, renewables um, is particularly fascinating right now. And there's a lot of people who are interested in it. Yeah, it's really good to have the end user buy-in as early on as you can because not only are they going to be engaged with your company and your idea and technology, but you can embed some of the feedback that you'll get into your designs. So Pete and Chris, you'll have different points of view on this because we've got different perspectives on this. But one of the challenges we face um, is actually knowing who we're selling to, which sounds like a ridiculous thing to say, but sometimes we'll have a technical or an engineering subject matter expert that we have to convince that our technology is viable. Then we'll find out that actually the person that cares about it and sees the benefits of using the technology is on the operations and maintenance side, right? It's an O&M person because you're either helping them, simplifying their lives or making them more effective or improving their maintenance schedules and efficiencies. So to what degree have you had to persuade people who aren't simply a purchaser or aren't simply you know an engineer or you know there, there must be quite a complex decision chain here that you had to go through to get approvals from different functions how did that play out for your different technologies and how difficult was it for you the first off i definitely recognize the challenge um one of the things that has become clear is that the structure of how the wind industry operates has a major role so there's an awful lot of the industry where the owner isn't necessarily the operator or maintainer. So you either end up with original manufacturers maintaining or, or especially third parties, but they, they come at ideas and innovation with a different view. And not every innovation is going to offer a value case to both the owner and the maintainer. You, know, you, you may have an innovation that reduces maintenance cost, or you may have an innovation that increases production and revenue. And I've, we've definitely found that that dichotomy is a problem, that we, we feel that we've convinced an owner, but their maintainer isn't interested, or vice versa. Um, so I don't think I have a, a kind of solution for you of how we've solved it, but we've definitely come up against similar challenges of finding the right people and sort of being able to, to communicate different propositions to different people within organizations that makes sense yeah it definitely does it sounds like it's a familiar story here I and mean, how do you see it because is it the same for you very similar i mean to be honest we're still figuring out who we're selling to i know that that also sounds quite crazy for me to say but the actual landscape of wind turbine blade maintenance covers uh, you know the original equipment manufacturers to the owners and operators to then service providers and at each stage the OEM might have their own uh, crew to do the blade inspections or they might subcontract, subcontract out to a service provider. Um, equally, the utility company that owns the wind farm might also have their own crew for certain tasks. So we actually have to consider all of them to be 
our client or you know we're selling to all of them but fundamentally what we need to do is prove to the oems that what we are putting on their turbine blades isn't going to damage it and that what they're going to the task that they're going to do can be certified or guaranteed to be as good if not better than how it's currently done so there's a case of the technology everyone understands a robot everyone likes it it's very easy to see and understand what it can do um and so from the tech side it's been very easy to sell they're like this is great we really love it but actually they're not the people that we have to convince it's going to have to be the O&M managers who go right this this crew is going to go out on this turbine on this day to do that inspection so what we're trying to do is get the interest from the technology side to kind of um introduce it to the O&M side and again try and get them to see the benefits and bring them on board the journey of what we're doing. So we're still on that journey. We haven't sold it yet, um, but it is a very interesting landscape to try and navigate around to work out who you are actually selling to. Yeah, this leads us really nicely into the, the third topic, which is market readiness. How have each of you found the receptiveness from wind farm operators in terms of support and development of your products? And we'll maybe go back to Chris. We've been very lucky. Everyone has been very receptive. A lot of doors have opened to us. Again, having the catapult um, supporting us has, has really helped to make sure that we've we've got those connections with the utilities and the OEM. So, yeah, it's we've been we found it uh, it's been really good. I have to say. Yeah, thanks, Chris. And Pete, um, what's your experience been with Equibolt, and um, I suppose what have been the biggest barriers that you faced with this kind of aspect of it? I think one of the barriers that we've come across in the wind industry specifically is that culturally the industry is very influenced, in my opinion, by the regulatory framework in Denmark and Germany, which really um, bases uh, technology adoption and maintenance activities around certification and industry standards. It's sort of a legal requirement to follow standard practices which in the UK isn't how, how our regulatory framework is, is built. The problem I see with uh, very string, um, stringent or um, prescriptive certification and standards is that they're generally written by the incumbents. So in my opinion, the, the industry has a, has a structural or a cultural um, issue with adopting innovation until you've been through that sort of third party approval, which just from my perspective adds cost before we can get into the market. So that's one of the things that we've sort of encountered as we've gone and definitely something for any other innovators out there to be aware of, to sort of build a strategy to seek some sort of third party verification of what you're doing into your development process. I don't know if Saul, if you've got similar experience at Synaptic. Um, and thinking of these barriers, how, how have you guys at Synaptic overcome them? What we found is that the challenge, uh, which goes back to the previous point about culture, I guess is it can just take an awful long time. Um, so we can, for example, if we're trying to engage with a developer uh, to use our systems and design them in from scratch as part of a new wind farm project, well, that could be four or five years out. From, from the first build. And we'd have to work at those sort of timescales because that's what it takes to design us into the electrical scheme uh, to redesign and improve the, the substation. You know, one of the things we do in the transmission world is help to make substations 
physically smaller. With Scottish Power, we got in our first trial down, we got the size of a footprint of a substation down by 25% and removed about four tons of copper wire from the substation. It's a big step forward, but to apply that to an offshore uh, substation design is a huge leap and it takes an awful long time and the, the, just the gestation cycle is very long. So you, you've got to adapt for that and account for the lead times involved in being involved in a project. So maybe go back to Chris at Bladebug. What's happening with Bladebug and your technology in the future over the next um, few months and years, um, if you were to summarise? So the next few months are really, it's a really challenging time for us. We, we're coming to the end of a innovative or an Innovate UK funded project where we'll be demonstrating our robot on catapults, uh, lever mouth turbine. So we're building up to that, which would be the sort of technology readiness level seven or eight to then show the market what we're, we can do, where we're at. Um, at the same time, we're trying to raise investment as a startup and pre-revenue. We're always concerned about finances and making sure that we've got enough money uh, to achieve our goals and deliverables so that that for us are, are our two main targets in the in the near future developing our technology to a stage where we deploy it on the wind turbine blade but in the same time develop the investment and the commercial elements and get these commercial customers on board so you know we're a bit behind maybe um Echovolt uh internet tech but try and get to that same sort of stage where we've got sort of um project partners lined up to facilitate and get those pilot trials off the ground so to speak. That's really good you're aiming for or you're going to be doing a leaving mouse trial um, that's really a, a massive achievement from you and coming from it's so it sounds like Bladebug was your idea and like you said started off as a one-man band um, if there was any listeners to this podcast who had an idea and they didn't know where to start but do you have any advice? Yeah, I didn't know where to start either. I think that's very common. I, I had an idea and I went around the houses many times with different ideas and concepts and just thinking, you know, this, I think this is a good idea. I think the market needs something like this. And I eventually just went for it. And I, I, I sort of um, was very fortunate. I, I sort of explained the concepts almost from the very beginning with, with the catapult. And they were like, yeah, we know there's definitely a requirement for this. So finding someone who can validate your concept before you go too far down a road with something which may or may not work, I found was very, very important for us. To have it validated at an early stage meant that actually by putting 100% effort into this, it wouldn't be wasted effort. And so at every stage to validate the market, validate the need, and the concept was so vital for us that we had confidence at each stage going forward. And we're now a company of six. Uh, we're working on a million pound project. And, you know, if I look back a couple of years ago, whilst I could have dreamt of that, I didn't know how to actually achieve it. So um, getting that validation and just going for it was how it happened and continues to go. So, yeah, if you've got a good idea, believe in it. But also make sure that other people believe in it too and give it a go. And Pete, what's in store for Echo Bolt? So we've just finished a really, a really extensive um, laboratory testing and calibration program at full scale. So we've done literally thousands of measurements and got some really promising results from that. So our next two steps are slightly COVID dependent, but our, our plan now is to take the technology to leave a mouth with a catapult which is a seven megawatt pilot turbine. So that's a really, a really 
good representative assets of what sort of current state of the art is, is like out in the field. And then following on from that, we're going to go with GE to their Haliadex 12 megawatt platform and demonstrate the technology there. So that is going to be the world's largest wind turbine um, and is a really fantastic opportunity for us to, to show the industry that the technology works across the, you know, the entire scale of wind turbines out there. So, yeah, it's a really exciting time, just sort of slightly frustrating because we're sort of itching to get on to the live demonstrations and we're sort of a little bit on hold. Yeah, I can imagine. There's probably a lot of people in that situation. Um, Yeah, it's great Catapult have been able to help yourselves at Equable and Bladebug and Synaptic all to do these demonstrations and leave in mouth and beyond. Saul, what is in store for Synaptic? Well, the good news is maybe we're a a, a sort of a a few metres or a few paces down the road ahead of... uh, the other guys in the call here with Chris and uh, Pete. What we've found is um, we've now installed our system at Levermouth and we're in the middle, coming towards the end of the trial. So the good news is we proved, number one, you can retrofit this safely and easily and we could do it without an outage in a few hours, not days and weeks, so that's great. And we've started streaming data from that site live uh, from all of our sort of uh, passive sensor networks, streaming that high quality information about the power quality and all the component parts of the signals, which have got all these little telltale signs about things that could be going wrong in the system. So we're starting to learn from that. Because of that project, we got onto the radar uh, with Vattenfall and they've now said, well, look, let's do this at scale. And unfortunately, (laughs) it is somewhat dependent on the COVID situation. Uh, We probably would have got done this faster, but probably later this summer, we're going to be able to install at scale and deploy one of our systems onto a pair of export cables uh, to have a look at how we can improve the, the visibility and control of that critical link, you know, where you're transmitting the entire output of a wind farm back onto the grid and see what we can do to help with all kinds of issues like grid compliance, performance, uh, dynamic ratings, looking for forensic level information about anything in the system that's showing as an anomaly or an outlier that would require uh, preventative maintenance from the uh, O&M contractors. So I think once we've had that out in the water and running for a while uh, through the rest of this year, uh, it'll pretty much prove beyond doubt how valuable it is and how that can be applied for everybody else. And certainly everyone who's kind of mid to end of life of an existing wind farm who's wondering about how to maintain those assets and keep them going for the rest of their 25 year contract or beyond is going to be watching this like corks to learn how they can uh, capture more actionable data to improve their O&M costs and extend the sort of viable productive lifespan of these assets. So pretty exciting times for us. Uh, we're in the middle of uh, you know, learning our craft and running and changing the wings while we're flying and bolting new engines on all the time. But that's part of the fun of the fair. We're, uh, we're very, very busy with that. And uh, whilst maintaining our sort of, uh, other businesses in the uh, transmission distribution aspect as well. Pete, Sol and Chris, thank you for taking part in today's episode. It's time to de-energise now until next time. In the meantime, listeners can find more news on renewable energy at ore.catapult.org.uk and follow us at orecatapult. You can find links to information about each of the companies who feature today in the show notes that accompany this episode.